This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today we travel to the Lepontine Alps, and in particular to the Ossola Valley, to meet Eduardo Petrone of the Azienda Agricola Eduardo Petrone. Uh, Eduardo, it's really nice to be in touch again. Thank you for being my guest today. How are you? Thanks a lot to you, Mark. Uh, I'm very good. Uh, Here uh, we are in Domodossola, and today, even if it's January, it's kind of pretty warm. We have over 15 degrees and uh, looks like already spring. Wow, that's incredible. I I just want our, our listeners to get a picture of where you are. It's not an area... A lot of people might think they know. I, I think the only time I've passed through your area would be coming by train from France to, to into Italy. And because I recall going through the Alps with the snow on them and then through the tunnel or through uh, descending down into Italy. And the first stop, I think, is Domodossola. It's a beautiful area. I'd like to come back and, and visit you. So please describe where you are. So Domodossola, uh, it's a kind of pretty unique uh, place in Italy as much as other places uh, because we have the mountains, uh, but uh, we have even the lake, the Lake Maggiore. We are located in the northern part of Piedmont in an area that is called Alto Piemont. We are pretty close to the Swiss border, as you say, because we are just uh, 17 kilometers from Swiss. And uh, here we have the Alps, the Lepontine, with the... Uh, her Majesty the Monte Rosa, that is one of the highest mountains in the, in the Alps, in Europe. And uh, we have even, as I say, the lake. So we have the influence of the mountain that protects us. Meanwhile, we have even the lake that can give us a, a kind of a warming uh, during uh, the middle season. Uh, even uh, is, more imp- is very important, uh, the area, because here we have a lot of water. In fact, uh, we're using the water in different fields to produce energy, but even for the fields, because viticulture and agriculture in general in the Alps, in particular in Domodossola, in the past was very developed. If we think that in the 19th century, we have around 800 hectares of vine, and uh, nowadays they decrease a bit and we reach in just 30. But uh, this is thanks by uh, the water, the river, in particular Toce, that is uh, have his uh, birth in uh, uh, Valle Formazza, where there is the Cascata del Toce, one of the highest of uh, Europe. And that's a waterfall, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
It's very, very beautiful. It's astonishing. You have to come to visit it. And uh, they even make a very good cheese in that area, the Betelmat or the Morasco. And uh, this kind of uh, water can help us to produce uh, all the agricultural product that we need as much as uh, the grape for the wine or the chestnut or uh, the corn or other products. So it's a really fertile valley, the Osola Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with the history of, of agriculture and, and this history of wine growing. So from 800 hectares uh, down to just 30, that's a very, very small amount. So very small number of wine growers in your area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we think that uh, the history of the local wine and the local vine, we can uh, locate it in the period of the 1309 when there was uh, one person that went to the church to exchange his uh, wine of Brunente, made by this variety that is uh, Brunente, that is uh, Nebbiolo, in exchange of the eternal life. So we know that it's more than 700 years that we produce wine in this area. But unfortunately, in the 19th century, we have the Industrial Revolution even here. So the people prefer to go to work in the factory instead of uh, working in the farm because uh, the area here is uh, kind of difficult. We are not on the normal flat area. Here is mountain. So all the work that you do is manually. There is no tractor. Uh, the amount of hours that you need to grow the vine here is uh, more or less the double of a normal vineyard. Uh, it's a kind of a area that can remember a bit the Valtellina or the Valle d'Aosta. So normally this area, due to the fact that are on a slope or very high, it means over 500 meters of altitude, are called heroic viticulture. Okay, so that's a wonderful picture of where we are, where you are, with the mountains covered in snow right now, Lago di Maggiore not far away, and this fertile valley with a the long, long history. And your family have been from uh, in the area for a long time as well, Eduardo. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I born here and uh, I grew here with my family that they own a restaurant in the center of Domodossola, one of the historical uh, restaurants of the area. It's called Sciolla. And meanwhile, when I had around 18 years old, uh, no, to be honest, even a little bit earlier, when I had 15, I decided to get closer to the wine and I become a sommelier. After a while, I make the course of viticulture and enology at the University of Alba. And after I meet some people that help me to grow, like uh, common friends that we have as much as Mario, that uh, trust, that give me even more knowledge about uh, what is making wine, because it's not just an industry, it's not just a product, it's a passion. Over that I spend uh, some years in uh, Barolo era, I move a bit in Spain and in Australia where after I decided to come back and start to restore the vineyard that belonged to the whole people and give a kind of a continuity to this heritage. Because the problem is that uh, the vineyard of the area are managed just by the whole people. The average age is around 70, 80 years old. And not a lot of people want to continue, so they prefer to cut the plant instead of give continuity. So if you hadn't returned to begin to work with these old vines and older people who were finding it a struggle, viticulture would be, would be lost in your area. That was a heroic decision of you 
to make because uh, it, it's it's such a hard work working these vineyards that are on the hills at altitude, and for wines that are still not well known or and appreciated around the world. Yeah, uh, for sure, it's kind of a very difficult. But uh, when I was in Australia, I had this kind of uh, thought that is very simple, that we are always ready to, to go in a very famous uh, wine area to, to work. It could be Barolo, it could be Australia, it could be Napa Valley or wherever. But the point is uh, that uh, it's difficult to us to come back home and start to, to bring back on the old fashion the area where we belong. Because we always expect that someone else is going to do it. And after, maybe we can come to help. But I think that it's important even to, to make it the first step and try at least. Yes, that's, a, that's, a, that's such an inspiring story, Eduardo. And of course, as you said, these vineyards had been, been in the Osola Valley for literally centuries and trained in a particular way, a traditional way not found elsewhere. Tell us a little bit about the Prunent grape, Nebbiolo, uh, as it expresses itself in the Osola Valley, but also about the way you cultivate the vines, train the vines, and the amount of work involved with this system. Yeah. Um, here in Heria, it's a wild area. Uh, it means that uh, we have a lot of animal, we can get a lot of even frost during the spring. So the kind of way to cultivate the plant in the past was called topia, that it's made it by four stone a stick in the corner plus the chestnut uh, uh, wood on top that it helps the plant to grow higher. Basically, it's like a, um, a pergola uh, mixed with a tendone. And this allowed to grow well the plant a little bit higher from the soil that is far away from the frost of the spring. And the animal, like the deer or the other local animal, cannot reach the fruit or the sprout to eat it. Uh, this kind of cultivation is still very, very used in the area, even if uh, the new producer now prefer to use the guillot, so prefer to use the rope because it's uh, quite uh, easier uh, using this cultivation in, uh, instead of the topia. With the topia, we can reach around 1,200 uh, hours per hectare per year. With the row, we are around 800. So you can understand that, that you need much more energy to work on it. Uh, the, the thing uh, that is very important even is uh, that uh, the, in the past, nowadays, we are used to the wine as a culture, the wine as a way to uh, express even some a good, a good moment with the people to spend. But in the past, the wine, as much as all the agriculture was for living, so this kind of cultivation, it's helped that we have a kind of two different layer of cultivate. One on top, as I say, on the top here, and the other on the floor. So maybe in the same time, you can cultivate the, the vine on top in the top here. And in the floor, you can have the grain, you can have the weed, you can have uh, uh, the potatoes. Oh, that's interesting, Eduardo. That goes back to the way the Romans trained vines up trees and planted other things below sometimes. But these, these stone pillars then uh, that you're, you're describing, uh, are the, did you find those still in the vineyards? Or they, they're already there. They don't, you're not bringing them in. These old vines were still intact 
in the topia system. It sounds incredibly labor intensive, especially if they're that high. And during harvest, for example, you must have to reach up for the bunches of grapes. Yes or no? It's a bit uh, complicated because uh, we have to think that this pillar, this stone, are made by the people that lived 50, 100 years ago. So the people in the past was a little bit shorter, maybe 150, 160. And for them, reaching already 180 was enough. Nowadays, we grow a bit. So we have the plants that are cultivated around 180, 2 meters. So for us, it's uh, easier to, to manage. Um, but uh, the, the plant and the pillars are still the same that are used 100, 150 years ago or even more. Here, the plants that we're recovering are the youngest, have around 40 years. The oldest, uh, probably around uh, 200. Even uh, due to the fact that the area, it stay on... Um, on the sand is allowed to have plant with the natural rootstock without using American rootstock on it. Wow, so they're pre-phylloxera vines in some cases. Amazing. I imagine they're quite low yielding, but producing wines with terrific character and flavors. Yeah, we are around 40, 50 quintal per hectare. Okay, so very, very, very low. It's a very old, and we don't want to push the plant too much. But this allowed us to have a good wine and first of all, good grape that can get a very good maturation, even with a lot of excursion during uh, night and day due to the fact that we have the mountain. As uh, we can think just in this period, uh, yesterday we were minus three and today uh, we have uh, plus uh, 16. Wow, incredible contrast. Yes. Eduardo, just um... Just explain, uh, talk us through maybe a couple of your wines and in particular how the Prunet expresses itself in the Osola Valley compared to perhaps the Nebbiolo elsewhere. I know that, uh, as you say, we were we have a common friend in Mario Fontana where you spent a lot of time in Barolo. Yeah, my Nebbiolo in particular, my Prunet is uh, quite different respect others. Uh, due to the fact that I'm trying to use a special kind of vinification, what it means. Uh, that uh, five years ago, when I come back here, I saw that the people still using kind of uh, vinification <clears throat> with the full bunch of grape. Uh, they use the, the skin, they use the seeds, and uh, they use the stem of the grape. And a lot of time, uh, the wine that came out uh, were very difficult to drink pretty much with acidity uh, and so going on. Uh, but I take this idea and I try to make a, a blend. What it means that the part of vinification is made with a full bunch of grape on the bottom of the tank. And on top, we put uh, the must. And during the fermentation, the must start to produce CO2 that is heavy and is going to the bottom of the tank. And the grape stay on the bottom going to in carbonic maceration. So it's a mix, it's a blend of a carbonic maceration and natural fermentation. And this allowed to take it out even all the parfum and all the characteristics and the natural antocyanin that you have in the stemma or in the seeds without breaking it. Normally the characteristics of the Nebbiolo, as we know, uh, are that they have a very light color and uh, all the characteristics of the parfum that are very fine, very silky. Uh, in the area here, we can still find uh, these characteristics, uh, but even what is more important is the acidity. 
acidity that can bring a wine for a very long period of aging. So I can say that the wine from the hops have this kind of natural acidity that if, can, if we are, you use it well, it can bring a lot of benefits. And meanwhile, we have this very softness, uh, powerful and delicated. Uh, you can find a lot of cherry, you can find the typical violet, uh, or even sometimes the, the prunia, probably even that give the name to the prunin, the prunia, like from prunes. Wow, that sounds a beautiful wine. Uh, and that high acidity, of course, is something that would make the wines very suitable to enjoy with the local foods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. As I say before, in the area we produce a lot of cheese. Normally, it's, the cheese is fat, and this acidity can clean and recall a lot the food and the meat and the meal. And uh, this is uh, very, very good. In particular, with the cheese that are made in the Alps during summer, that is normally it's very short period, just maybe July and August. I'm, um, I really like the formaggi that are making in the Alps, uh, like in Macuniaga, on the bottom of uh, the Monte Rosa, like in the Burki area. Or, like, for example, we have the Betemat in Valformazza, as I said before. We have a lot of other cheese that are very tasty and very interesting. That, in fact, these, after they come out in the plate, in the local dishes, if you think about the gnocchi allo solana, that is a typical gnocchi, uh, handmade with a chestnut, uh, white flour, and pumpkin, that are all mixed after with the local cheese. And during the winter, nearby the fireplace, with a good glass of prunette, I really suggest you. Wow, that sounds wonderful. I've never had that. That's made with chestnut, pumpkin, and flour. Wow. I've not had a gnocco like that. Is that something that your mother would have made that would have been served in your restaurant? Yeah, 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 for sure. It's one of the typical plates that was restored uh, in the past years uh, from the very old uh, recipe. And we, we serve it in the restaurant uh, normally during winter and or the cold season because it's kind of a very important meal. So growing up uh, in with a restaurant in the family, food and wine was really, you absorbed that into, into who you are. And I guess that's what drove you to create the career that you've done now. It must be wonderful to be able to be back in your home uh, doing what you want to do with passion and still being part of your family in the family restaurant. Tell us a little bit about the family restaurant. Yeah, it's uh, kind of uh, very, uh, very passion, as you say. It's uh, something that you can, in a kind of way, I felt like when I got away from here, I ran away from my hometown because there was nothing for me. But after when you come back, you see that everything was there. And even in the my parents, in the restaurant of my parents, where I grow with my passion, I figured out that uh, eating is not just uh, something that we need to do. It's a pleasure. A lot of time during the day we spend by eating, and it means that even, even during our lifetime. So we need to enjoy it. And uh, be able to, to sit in the restaurant in the main square nearby Piazza Mercato, where every Saturday, uh, from since uh, I think the 17th century, we have a market and hitting the gnocchi uh, with the view of this older rooftop 
of the city that are made by stone because here we have a lot of local stone and it's quite unique even if it's uh, another it looks like from another time it's uh, very very beautiful and being able to to get even a bit more it means uh, be able to cultivate the, the raw material and after being able to transform it that's given even more value because even what we're doing in our winery is not just cultivate the, the grape but we want to have a, a bit uh, differentiation that help us to have a good impact even on the fields and on the area because we don't have to concentrate too much on just on wine but because we don't need we don't drink just wine we need tomato we need potatoes and every day during summer when we take these vegetables or the meat and we bring them to the restaurant and we transform it and make them out like gnocchi or like uh, handmade pasta or the sauce or zucchini in pot that is even i don't even know which word can explain well because that is very it, it fulfills me this uh, kind of sensation and this is thanks by the restaurant of my parents where they uh, they grow because now it's over four 40 years that they managing the Ristorante Sciolla in Domodossola. But it's, as I say, it's a very old restaurant. Uh, it was established around in the 1888. So we're talking about more than 120 years of history of uh, cooking in the local area. Wow, that's a, a wonderful story. But I really like uh, what, what you're saying about the satisfaction of not just making wine that people enjoy in the restaurant, but also the growing of the vegetables and the fruit and taking that down to the restaurant to be transformed into traditional, typical foods. Eduardo, it's been wonderful to catch up with you now. I've really enjoyed meeting you again and I very much hope to get up to Domodossolo to see your farm and to eat in the Ristorante Shola. It would be a great pleasure. Thank you so much for being our guest today and I hope that all goes well with you as you continue to build your different activities. Thanks a lot to you, uh, Mark, for this invitation. And uh, I hope to see you soon uh, here in Domodossola. And uh, whoever want to come to visit me, I'm here in uh, Borgata Baceno, Adomo. I, I will certainly do that. I look forward to it. Grazie, Eduardo. A voi. Ciao. Ciao. Grazie. A presto. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin. producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.